And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Some of you know that Josie, my wife, is in nursing school, and uh, we're getting near the end. She uh, has one more semester to go after this semester, and um, as you can imagine, it's been a difficult season. She has six kids, and she's also been uh, picking up uh, part-time work at the hospital, so Uh, She's done remarkably well, but it has been a stressful season for for her and and really for the entire family. But Josie did something that I think has helped. Last summer, she booked a vacation to Florida so that, God willing, just weeks after she graduates, we will all go down to sunny Florida. And she has been thinking about that. During the difficult times, during those late night study sessions and those 12 hour shifts at the hospital, there's been times as she's gone through it saying to me, I'm just thinking about Florida. I'm just thinking about that time that we'll have there together with the family. And um, in fact, yesterday, Grace, my oldest daughter, showed me pictures of the place. I hadn't seen these pictures of the place that we'll be staying at. Uh, near the beach, not quite on the beach, but very close to the beach on Florida. And I can assure you that I will be thinking more and more about that vacation as the weather gets uh, colder and darker. The promise of a good future motivates us to carry on in the difficult times, doesn't it? The promise of a future reward helps us to go through Difficult seasons. Well, Isaiah was written to a people. I want to turn your attention to that passage. That's printed in in in, uh, in your bulletin on page eight. Isaiah was written to a pe- people who were facing a great difficulty and great uncertainty about their future, their future as a nation, the nation of Israel. Isaiah prophesied some eight hundred years before the coming of Christ, and Isaiah the book spans centuries. And what was happening in Israel during this time period was first, they were um, attacked by the great Assyrian Empire. God allowed Isaiah to foresee this, that this was coming. The Assyrians would advance, the Assyrians would attack. And then, hundreds of years after that, Babylon, the great empire of Babylon, would come. Against Judah, against Jerusalem, would destroy the temple of Jerusalem and take the leading citizens out of Jerusalem into exile into Babylon. God allowed Isaiah to see this, the difficulty that was to come. But God also gave Isaiah a vision about the glorious future that he would bring about. And so the the point is for us today, no matter how difficult and dark the present, God calls us to walk in the light of the glorious future he has promised. See that at the end of that passage, 
Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So, not only does this vision of a glorious future encourage us now and motivate us now, like, I can't wait to get to Florida. I'll go through this because I know Florida's coming. Not only does a vision of this glorious future motivate us in that way, but it instructs us how to live in the here and now. We are to walk in the light of the Lord. So, I want to look at this vision that God gave Isaiah to encourage us and to instruct us as God's people today how we ought to live now. So the first part of this vision is this. That a time is coming, and he calls it the the latter days. A time is coming when God will gather a people who are hungry for the word of God. To know the word of God. And not only that, but the time is coming when it will be clear to all people that the God of Israel is the true God and that he will be exalted over other so-called gods. Let's look at that part first. The latter days when the true God will be exalted above all other gods. So he he writes about that in verse 2. The mountain of the house of the Lord. Now that, of course, is the temple. The house of the Lord is the temple and the mountain is Mount Zion in Jerusalem. He says, the mountain uh, of the house of the Lord, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. So during this time period, uh, Israel's pagan neighbors would worship their idols on mountains and hilltops. And, and the people of Israel were tempted sometimes to go along with the false worship and the idolatry of their pagan neighbors and to worship the idols of their pagan neighbors on the mountaintops or to emulate that kind of worship, to be influenced by that pagan spirituality. In fact, one of the things that God has told Isaiah is The reason why you're going to, this nation is going to face the judgment of Assyria and Babylon is for this kind of idolatry. uh, That Israel has fallen into this idolatry. So Isaiah 65, 7 says, I will repay your iniquities and your father's iniquities because, listen to this, they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. You see, they had adopted that kind of idol worship at different periods of time. And and Isaiah is saying now with this vision, there's an expiration date on idolatry. There's a day coming when there will be no more false worship. It will be clear the mountain of the Lord will be exalted over all. It will be clear that Yahweh alone is God. And that we are to worship Yahweh alone. We are to worship God alone. On that day, it will be clear for all people to see who is the true God. The house of the Lord will be established as the highest mountain. In our gospel reading, Jesus says that on the last day, all the tribes or all the nations, all the people groups of the earth, they will mourn when they see the Son of Man, that's Him, coming in clouds of glory with great power. 
coming on the clouds of heaven with great power. It will be clear for all people to see. Right now, it's a matter of debate. Right now, it's a matter of division. Right now, it's a matter of dispute. Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is Jesus really Lord? And Jesus himself says there's coming a day when it will be clear. All people will see it. And those who've turned from Christ on that day will mourn when they see Christ coming as judge. Friends, even when our neighbors or our friends turn from Christ, even if we see people in the church that we have been close to, and it's heartbreaking to see this, but it, but it happens, doesn't it? People that once professed faith in Christ, people we were close to, Turning from Christ to the idols of this age, even when we see that happening, we're to remain faithful to the true God. He will be exalted. It will be clear one day for all to see that Christ is Lord. And until that day, our job is to faithfully proclaim Him, to stay faithful to, to, to Him, to proclaim Him as Lord of all people, and as Savior and Redeemer for anyone, no matter where they're from, no matter what nation, no matter what background, Savior for all who will turn to Him in faith and repentance. So that's part of this vision. This vision of the future. It will be clear that God alone is God and that Christ is His Messiah. The second part of this vision is an ingathering of people from all nations who will be hungry or thirsty to know the word of God. You see that here. The nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So, get this picture. This is a picture of a stream, a stream of people. Nations shall flow into it going up a hill, which is obviously not how nature works. Nature, the streams don't go uphill. They go down from the mountains, right? So, this is a picture of a supernatural work of God. That, that God is going to gather a people who are hungry for His Word and want knowledge from, from Him through His Word. Because it's not natural, really, to hunger for God's word. As Jesus talks about in the parable of the, the sower and the seeds, there are many things that choke out the word of God in our life. We, we're interested in our ideas. We're interested in the ideas of other people. There are concerns that choke out our hunger for the word of God, the, the love of the things of this world, material wealth and the cares of this world, all those things that Jesus talks about, even persecution, can choke out our desire for the Word of God. So it's a supernatural work of God's Spirit when He gives people a hunger to know Him through His Word. And that's what's happening here. There's a miracle. The stream is going up. As people are led to the Word of God out of a desire to know Him, and the desire to be taught His Word is not just a matter of intellectual curiosity or historical interest, but they want to know how to live. It says that they want to go to Zion to be taught the Word of God. Why? 
What do they say? So we may walk in his paths. So we can know a wise way to live. So we can have a direction of life that is pleasing to God. So it's not just a matter of knowing God through his word, but wanting to please him with their lives. And that's a great work of God when he gathers the people who have that desire and that hunger. Whenever God is at work to revive a people or renew a people or save people, you will see this hunger for the Word of God. A desire to know Him through His Word. So when um, the, ba- the, the, uh, the Persian Empire, em- Emperor Cyrus the Great conquered Babylon and he allowed the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem... One thing that we see there in that time of restoration was a hunger to know the Word of God. You can read this in Nehemiah. The priest, Ezra, Nehemiah 8, the people are all gathered there. And and they began, the priests began reading from the law of God. And it says that the people were attentive to the reading of the Word. They weren't checked out mentally. They weren't dozing off. They were locked in. There was a hunger. See, there was a move of God. And and it says that they wept in repentance as they heard the law of God. They wanted to align their life with God's word. That's a work of the spirit. That's a work of revival. That's a work of renewal. Uh, In in the book of Acts, we see the same thing. And, and, And part of the fulfillment of this very vision that we're reading today, I think, is what happened in the book of Acts Because this vision is talking about people from all over the world coming into Jerusalem. And people were in Jerusalem, right, from all over the world on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit fell upon Peter and he began to proclaim the word of God to people from all nations, all people groups. It started in Jerusalem and then it spread. And there were other people, Gentiles, who began to receive the word of God. And the apostles said... The apostles say in Acts 11 that they rejoice that the Gentiles received the word of God. Because that's an act of God pouring out his spirit. That is a mark of revival, of renewal, of salvation. We know God through his word. And so all throughout history, there's this link between revival, salvation, and a hunger and thirst for the word of God. Let me ask, are you hungry for God's word today? Uh, are you, are, are you, do you desire not only to know it at an intellectual level, but also to walk in it, to have wisdom for how you're to live, how you're to raise your family, how you're to think about things today? Uh, again, uh, there's so many things that can distract us from the word of God. So many cares and concerns that can choke out our desire to know God through his word. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will create this desire. Renew this desire. There's a link here, friends, between our spiritual condition and our hunger to know God through His Word. I, I, was, I was reading a testimony of this lady named Sharon Dutra. Um, she came from a broken home, an abusive family, really terrible situation that she grew up in. So she ran away when she was a teenager, 15, 16 took to the streets and you know the story I mean she fell into drugs and then to support her drug habit she became a prostitute and she was arrested several times but I think it was in her late 30s or so that she was 
finally put away in jail for a very long stint of time. And she said, I just wanted to die. I was ready to die. I saw no purpose of life. But then she heard the gospel in prison. And there was a chaplain that befriended her and gave her a Bible. And she made the point. She said, this Bible was an expensive Bible. The chaplain gave me an expensive, not a cheapie. <laughs> but I guess she saw that as a sign of his, his care for her. That, she, that he gave me an expensive Bible, she said. And she said, I began to read that Bible hours upon hours a day. And, and I'll just read what she said. This is an interesting and uh, kind of beautiful uh, imagery here. She said, after a life derailed by destructive lies, finding God's truth felt like discovering a cool stream in the desert. Destructive lies. And now she's encountering the truth of God's word. The more I read, the more the Holy Spirit confirmed. She said the shocking reality of the gospel that Jesus loved a sinner like me. So whether it's somebody who has bottomed out, they're at the very, they're in jail, they're desperate. Or whether it's somebody who's reached the top of what society says and finds as they got to the top of the ladder, is this it? The Holy Spirit can work with such a person and give them this hunger to know God, the living God, through His Word. Even now, God is gathering people who hunger to know Him and want to walk in the light of His Word. It's a sign of revival. It's a sign of renewal. The third part of this vision of a glorious future is of perfect justice and peace. He shall judge between the nations and he shall decide disputes for many peoples. God himself will be the judge. And God's judgment is perfect. Human justice, we all know, is imperfect because we don't have perfect knowledge. And we're not completely unbiased. And we're tainted by sin and self-centeredness. We've got to do the best we can do, but we're not going to get perfect justice in this life, are we? I heard this week uh, the BBC reporting on what's going on in Iran and uh, that the United Nations has called for a Human Rights Commission to investigate what's going on in Iran. Now, the, human, the United Nations is supposed to be the organization that does exactly what Isaiah says God's going to do, which is judge between nations and decide disputes. And so we've come up with the United Nations to do that for us. <laughs> But this report, according to this report, it said that there has been, over the last two months, at least 300 people killed in Iran. And I hope I have this number right. It seems incredible to me. You can fact check me later if you want. But in two months, 14,000 people arrested in Iran to crack down on these protesters. And it just keeps going on and on. So the UN said, well, we got to do something about it. And so... They had a vote. Are we going to investigate this or not? Now, the vote passed. But six countries voted against that investigation. Six countries that are supposed to be about upholding justice. And 16 countries abstained from even taking a stand on it. Again, uh, fortunately, there were enough votes so that the investigation can go forward. But since 2011, listen to this. No human rights investigators have ever been allowed into Iran. So how's the justice going to come if you don't let the investigators in? So we, we must do our best as human beings 
But we are not going to give ourselves perfect justice. God alone is the perfect judge. And, and, and Isaiah promises that the day is coming when God is, is, is going to say, Enough! Enough of the injustice. Enough of the evil. It's not going to triumph. It's not going to have the last word. God himself will judge. And not only that, but there will be a day of perfect peace. Isaiah prophesies, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their swords into pruning hooks. They exchange their weapons of war for weapons of farming or tools of farming, rather. Tractors for bombs, we might say today. Not implements that kill and destroy, but implements that lead to human flourishing, that help. War is sometimes a necessary evil in a world of injustice because sometimes to stop injustice, you have to use force. Right? So I, I believe in what's called the just war theory. I do believe in that. But war, in the words of T.S. Eliot in his great poem, creates a wasteland. In that poem, Wasteland, T.S. Eliot gives voice to a World War I veteran who suffers from what we would call now PTSD. And in one of the sections of that poem, this just again kind of captures the horror of war and the effect it has on people. In that poem, I think it's the wife or the girlfriend turns to this veteran and says, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? And he answers this, I think we are in Rat's Alley where the dead men lost their bones. He's thinking about the trench warfare. He's thinking about what happened in World War I. Such is the horror and the humanity of that war. What hope is there in a war-torn world? What hope is there? We see it in Ukraine, don't we? The wasteland. What hope do we have? Our hope has to be in God. God, the Creator, who promises to redeem this world and is redeeming a people right now who will beat their swords into plowshares. In other words, people of peace. We have peace with God and because we have peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ, we want to be people of peace with others. The peace that God gives us, that reconciles us to Himself in Christ, should lead us to a ministry of reconciliation with other people. When is this day coming? This great vision of this glorious future. When is it going to be fulfilled? That's what we want to know. Jesus, tell us when this day is coming. When is the glorious future going to be here? <laughs> is there a place we can put it on the calendar like our vacation in Florida? And Jesus says, He doesn't know. Did you get that in the Gospel reading? It's a difficult passage. We don't have time to try to unpack that. It's difficult because Jesus is here conflating the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, A.D. 70, with His second coming. And it's hard to untangle what's why in that passage. But one thing we can be clear about is Jesus says, No one knows the day. Not the angels, not me, but only the Father in heaven. So what are we to do in the meantime? We are to stay awake. We are to stay alert. We are to walk in the light of the Lord. As Isaiah says, yes, we should be comforted by the truth that although we don't know what the future holds, 
We know God holds the future. That is a comforting and encouraging truth that we ought to hang on to and be encouraged by today. We, we need to be comforted by the reality that history, as I like to say, is His story. God is working out His plans and purposes in history. He is sovereign. He's in control. That is a comforting and encouraging truth. That's part of the purpose of this vision. But another part of this purpose, the purpose of this vision, is that it teaches us how we ought to walk in the here and now. The kinds of people we ought to be. Because of Christ, we are new creations. We belong to this new order. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So we are to be people by the Spirit and grace of God who walk in this new light that God has dawned on us in Christ Jesus. This vision forms us and teaches us how to walk in the here and now. A couple of weeks ago, there was a conversation we had here in the church. A few of us were lamenting the state of seminary education, pastoral education, because we were talking about how everything is going online, you know, and we know that it's, it has to happen, and, and there's market forces and, and convenience issues, and so it's all going online, but we were talking about how, you know, if there's too much online learning, these future pastors are not going to be formed for their future role. <laughs> because, as I've had to learn painfully, uh, and I'm still learning this, being a pastor is more than just loving books. <laughs> it's taken me about a dozen years or so to get this. It's about loving people, too. It's about being part of a community with Christ at the center. And so you're training people, you're forming people who are not in community. They're behind a screen. So are they being really formed into the people they need to be for the future? And it's kind of like that with this vision that God gives His people throughout Scripture of the future. They're, they're, these visions are meant to train us to be certain kinds of people. To form us. To be people of the kingdom of God which has come in Christ, but not fully. We're being formed as we read these scriptures to be certain kinds of people now. So if God alone will be worshipped in the future, turn from idols and worship God alone now. You see. What are the idols pulling you away from Christ now? One day, God alone, the mountain, will be exalted above all. Worship God alone now. If God will gather a people who know Him by His Word, who desire to walk according to His Word, well, walk now according to the Word of God. And gather now a people who will gather around His Word to know God. Gather your children. Gather your grandchildren. Gather your friends around the Word of God. Teach them who God is. Teach them how to walk in the light of His Word. If God's goal is to bring ultimate peace and justice so that His image bearers can flourish in a new heaven and a new earth, then be people of peace and justice now, where God has placed you. Be a reconciler. Be a peacemaker. 
and do the best you can to bring justice in an imperfect world. And so uh, Isaiah addresses the people of God with these words in verse 5. He addresses them as the house of Jacob. And let me just close with this, adapting it to us today. O church of the resurrection, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and this vision of the future, of a glorious future that you have given your prophet Isaiah and preserved for us throughout the centuries. And we thank you that even now you are at work in fulfilling this vision in us. We pray that by your Holy Spirit that you will give us the grace to walk in the light of it. For your glory. Amen. Let's stand together and recite the words of our faith. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>